Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sparks on Call. Will you please welcome your host for this evening, Charlie! everyone for coming on such a cold evening to spark encore. Uh, my name's Charlie. This is a night of true storytelling. We have hand-picked storytellers to talk to you, to tell you a true story, something that happened to them on the theme of crime and punishment tonight. Good theme, I think. I was texting people. I normally do this before the show. I send a random collection of texts to friends and family. My brother was saying that, like, uh, the, the, the harshest punishment and the punishment that he got was having his um, mouth washed out with soap for swearing at the dinner table. It was a dark moment in our... This is something I thought of for that, was uh, when I was at school. This is what I think is an over-punishment for quite what I thought was quite an innocent act. Do you remember in science class, these syringes that you get? Like syringes, you put water in them. We stole some of those from the science lab. Big deal, you know, that's, that's not that big. We're just, just to use as water pistols, and to, I had a little piglet, and we had to, like, feed it with the thing as a sort of game. And then when the teacher found out that me and my best friend, Raki Shah, had stolen these, right, she gave a whole talk to the whole year about drugs and <laughs> convinced us, no joke, convinced us. I was, as an eight-year-old child, convinced that I was a junkie. She was like, do you know who uses these needles? Druggies and junkies. He obviously had a lot of problems, Mrs. Adams. And she brought them out on us and split us up. Me and Racky Shaw, no longer friends to this day. How awful is that, right? No, we were no longer allowed to be friends. We had to sort of live our primary school lives separately. And, and I think now we're friends on Facebook, so every cloud. Um, LAUGHTER Okay, so we're going to bring on our first storyteller. Without further ado, actually, give your warmest welcome to the lovely Michael, ladies and gentlemen. So when I was at university, I was not very good at making arrangements. And there was a period in my life when I was without a mobile phone. Um, and so I had to resort to doing, uh, uh, making arrangements to meet people the old-fashioned way. Um, which, if no one remembers, is where you agree to meet at a time and then meet at that time. Um, and, and if you don't have a phone, then you can't call, and you know, if, if you go there and no one shows up, then you just have to go home. Um, and so I, um, I arranged to meet some of my friends the old-fashioned way at this new um, kind of pub, club, bar kind of thing that was opening up on the kind of outskirts of Oxford. Um, 
And so I was, I was kind of very nervous that I was doing it this way, and so I had to uh, be very, very cautious. So I got there, got there early. I kind of checked, checked the map and found my way there. Um, and I arrived early and without a phone. And uh, so I got to the bar, and I uh, thought, well, I, you know, I'm a little early. I might as well buy myself a drink. And I found it was a, one of those card bars with a... Um, with a limit, a card limit that you have to go over. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll buy all my friends a, uh, a, a drink each. I'll buy a round so that when they arrive, they'll, we'll all have a drink. And so that was great. And so um, buy, buy the drink and buy the drinks, kind of five of them. Um, and I just go and sit in, a, sit in a corner. And the bar's kind of quite empty this time. Um, and this is like, this is kind of 2009. And the bar was one of those kind of tiki themed bars with palm trees and stuff. So I'm in this kind of like corner seat with palm trees and stuff around in this kind of quite empty bar, just drinking my drink of my own. Um, and, and so the bar starts filling up slowly and, um, and people arrive and start dancing um, and my friends don't arrive. So I think, oh, well, I finished my drink. I might as well, I might as well drink the next one. There's no, there's no point me uh, buying, buying another round. So I start drinking the next one and then more people arrive and I'm still the creepy guy in the corner. Um, and this goes on, and, and I slowly drink all the drinks of my absent friends. And, and as I kind of drain the very dregs of the, of the last mojito or whatever it was, um, I realize that I've been in this bar full of, full of now dancing people uh, for quite a long time, and I'm quite drunk, and these people just aren't showing up. Um, and so I, it's that time when I think I've got to cut my losses and, and leave. So, so I, leave, I leave the bar and I turn and I head off home. And I'm, I'm in that kind of state where when you're that drunk where you just, you just plow ahead. You, you're, you're just flying and you just don't have any concept of, of time. And, and it's fantastic. And you, you just fly. And normally you just get home so quickly and you don't even, don't even notice it. And so before, before, I, before I even realized, I was, I was in the middle of nowhere. And I'd... I'd somehow walked completely the wrong direction and had ended up in some small little um, suburban kind of area, probably just somewhere outside of Oxford. Um, and, and it's cold. It, this is like 3 a.m. perhaps, um, and I've got no phone, middle of winter, and it's just bleak. There's no, uh, there's no traffic signs, there's no um, phone boxes, there's, there's no nothing, there's no shops, there's no one around. And it's not even one of those streets, it's not a long street that I've clearly walked this way and I can just turn around. Uh, I don't know which way is forward, which way is back. And so I wander around for a while and I'm getting colder and colder. And so I think to myself, well, I've kind of got two options now. I've got to do something uh, in this kind of suburban, suburban jungle. Uh, I've got to do, do something. So my first option was to just fall asleep, to kind of cuddle up and fall asleep and probably, probably die of cold. Um, <laughs> Or option two, which is, is knock on the, someone's door and throw myself at the mercy of a stranger. Um, and so I take hidden option three, which is break into someone's house. <laughs> and, but, and, and this is all kind of a mix of constructed memories, but I, it's like a montage. I remember, I remember there a fence. I remember climbing a fence. I remember a back garden and a door and, and opening a door and it being open. <laughs> and so that's, that's entering but not breaking. It's not breaking and entering. <laughs> And, and so I get, get into the, this house, and I remember thinking, well, I can't go upstairs, because that's scary. You know, I, there'll be people up there, and they'll, they'll think, what am I trying to do? And, and I can't go into the living room. I can't fall asleep on the sofa, because if someone comes down, they'll think I'm stealing their TV. So I, I think to myself, the only thing I could do to make myself not look like a burglar is to fall asleep at their kitchen table. <laughs> and so I do. I put my head down, and... and and, and start sleeping at, at their kitchen table, and they're like gingham kitchen table in this tiny little suburban house. And I think I've done it very quietly, but clearly I haven't, because 
the next thing I know, I'm being kind of rudely shaken awake um, by a policeman. And clearly, I've woken them up and they've called the police. Um, And apparently, I'm in a a tiny little town called Botley, right out on the outskirts. And the police kind of pat me down and search me and find, oh, I haven't stolen anything. And I'm very drunk and apologetic. Um, And and so they they take me home. and They they put me in a car and and take me. And they drive me out of Botley, through through Oxford, and through and out into Cowley, and take me back to my house. And um, they check, is this your house? Because, you know, you're our known cat burglar. (laughs) But I've got a key. I let them in. But just to make sure that they came up, they come up, they come up, and um, they ask to speak to one of my room, one of my housemates. And so they knock on this guy's door and they say, "Do you know this man?" And he could have said, he could have said, "No, I've never seen this man before." But but he didn't. He didn't. Um, and then they ask him, "And so, uh, do you make a habit of breaking into houses?" And pretty good for 4 a.m. He replies, "If I did, it wouldn't be ones in Botley." <laughs> And, and so I go to bed, and in the next, next morning I wake up, and I, I, I feel a bit bad, and I, I can't quite remember everything, but I, like, check my pockets, and in my pocket there's this piece of paper, and it says police report, and it's a report for why I was searched, and it just reads, man found asleep at kitchen table, man not identified by family. <laughs> I still have it. Thank you. Michael, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I think you're a great start to the evening, and now we all know how to have a free night stay in Botley. Fantastic. Thanks for the tips. Um, What is the harshest punishment you've received, and why did you deserve it? I almost got expelled from school after I got bullied and beat up by three girls. But the head teacher thought I was lying. No, not fair, not fair. Um, I'm sorry about that, but you seem fine now, so... Everything okay? (laughs) There's another one. Um, I left Iraq as a refugee aged two. I spent a night in prison as a four-year-old in Belgium for being illegally in the country. The cheese was very bad. (laughs) Thank, Thank you for that contribution. Um, We're going to bring on our next storyteller now. Please give your warmest welcome to Sean, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, thank you for being here. Um, This story is why I wake up with a smile on my face. May 16, 2002, SWAT team smashed my door down in Phoenix, Arizona for running an ecstasy ring. As a young person, I went out there, made some money in the stock market, it went to my head and I started throwing rave parties, had people bringing ecstasy over. So I was not only breaking the law, take full responsibility. So I end up in the jail, it's got the highest rate of death in America. As soon as I go in, Aryan Brotherhood prison gang come up to me and ask me what my charges are. I don't understand it because it's on a little printout from the jail, it says conspiracy, crime syndicate and all this legal stuff. And I, I say to them, I'm not sure what my charges are. Like, Tell us your charges, tell us your charges. And I said, you know, I, I was swatching raided me today. I, I don't understand the charges. They're like, are you a chomo, are you a chomo? I said, what, I'm not a chomo, I don't know what a chomo is. So they're almost about to, to attack me. And I pull my charge sheet out and they look at my charges and they, they see I was um, dealing ecstasy and that's acceptable to them. So then they, then they send me to all of the, 
They send me to the head of the gang, and he explains all the rules I must follow, or else everyone's going to smash me. If someone calls me a punk, a bitch, or hits me, I have to fight them on the spot, or else the whole gang will smash me. Most take showers, or they'll smash me for bad hygiene. Can't go making friends with the guards, they'll smash me for snitching. Can't go sitting at the tails of the other races, they'll smash me for that. So that was my first year in the remand jail. I was in medium security. A year in, I asked for a bond reduction. My bond was three quarters of a million cash only. And I go to court and the prosecutor sabotages the hearing and the judge doubles my bail to 1.5 million from 750,000. And I get classified then over to me, uh, maximum security. Don't know anyone there, it's mostly murderers, a few crystal meth chemists. And at eight at night is lockdown, 10 is lights out. Now, as soon as the lights go out, the cockroaches line up in the cracks in the walls, doing this like little movement with the antennae sticking out, like an army waiting to invade. And as soon as they went out, they just completely flooded the room. And you know, this is out in the Sonoran Desert, it's really hot. I wrapped a sheet around myself, left the breathing holes like the mummy to keep them off me. But I've got all these bleeding and itching skin infections and bed sores from the heat and the trapped heat makes it so unbearably itchy I couldn't possibly sleep. So I just throw the sheet off me and let them crawl on me. Now they don't bite, fortunately. <laughs> they start out tickling your feet, limbs, palms of your hands. Try to get in your ears to eat your earwax. It's like honey to them. So I was on remand for 26 months. The prosecutor said every time I spoke about drugs on the phone, carried five to 10 years. If I go to trial and lose, they could stack all my charges up to a maximum 200-year sentence. In the end, I signed for nine and a half years, and the prosecutor played a trick on me. In my sentence was a 26-month sentence, and it was accidentally put down on the legal paperwork as 26 years. So I was then fast-tracked to the super maximum security prison with the most violent and dangerous prisoners, including Arizona's death row. You very rarely get out your cell. Armed guards in shank-proof body armor come and feed you for a trap in the door. My neighbor was a serial killer, and my first cellmate was a Satanist. He's got a pentagram tattooed on his forehead, in for murder, part of a cult that was drinking blood and eating human body parts. And he was very nice to me. <laughs> Just read a book about Leonardo da Vinci, and he gave me, and we discussed it, and I didn't have any problems with him whatsoever. <laughs> Got moved over to medium security. It took about four months to sort the legal problem out, the, the 12, the 26 months. And my first, I'm, I'm hoping they're gonna be a bit softer. My first cellmate in medium security is a serial home invader, torturer, breaking into people's houses and taking hammers to their kneecaps. Welcoming statement to me, I've got a padlock in a sock. I can smash your brains in while you sleep. I can kill you whenever I want. Really nice guy. Me and my family were flying 5,000 miles to visit me for Christmas, so he got his mate, 20 stone California biker, to attack me just when I'm going to this visit with my parents. So I'm just walking along as happy as can be. No idea this is going on. Big guy sneaks up behind me in a crowded corridor and BAM! Starts kidney punching me. All the prisoners stop to see my reaction because the gang rule is you must hit back or else you're a punk and everyone will prey on you. But if you do hit back in the guards see it, you're arrested and sent to a prison within the prison called lockdown. You lose all your privileges, including your visits. So I had to think fast. I spun around, started throwing some kicks and punches. It didn't end up very well for me at all. It was like hitting a big bag of cement. And he was trained in kickboxing, spun me around, smashed me up, knocked me down, ended up going to the visit all injured. Mum's asking me what's wrong and I can't say because she's had a nervous breakdown over my situation. 
When I get back from the visit, my soulmate is getting higher on heroin and meth and acting crazier towards me, showing me the padlock in the sock that he's going to smash my skull in with. I got so scared. It was the only time I called for outside help. I called my family and said, look, can you put a call into the British Embassy? I think this guy's going to try and kill me. But if, they, if the embassy called the prison to get me moved, they can't see anything I've said that would get him in trouble because that would make me a snitch. And the gang rule is KOS, kill on sight for snitches. So everyone would want to kill me. Fortunately, the embassy handled it appropriately and I was moved without getting him any trouble. And um, he was throwing batteries at me for a couple of weeks afterwards until I got a cellmate who was bigger who had some words and it stopped after that. Now my new cellmate, he knew what had gone on with these guys and he introduced me to someone who he thought would protect me. A guy called Two Tonys, he said, I want you to play chess with this guy. And I said, well, what's he in for? Mass murder. He's an Italian mafia associate. He left the dead bodies of rival gangsters from Arizona to Alaska, and he's serving 115 years. And I'm thinking, do, do I want to play chess with this guy? If I, if I beat him, he might be mad at me. If I let him win, he'll see through that, and he'll, he'll be mad at me. So I played chess with him, and I beat him, and he was speaking his mind. And I said, that's why I beat you, because you're speaking your mind. He said, I like you. You're honest. Will you write my life story? And he dictated his life story to me, and he protected me, and I never got attacked after that. Now, one day he came in my Selvi's favorite book, A Day in the Life of Ivan Donosovich by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He said, you've got to read this. And I'm reading it, and it's about Ivan, who's in the Russian gulag, where it's so cold, if you spit, your spit freezes midair, and they're, they're working these guys to death. They're just all replaceable. So... I read it, and then whenever the prisoners complain about things, like the oatmeal's cold in the morning, two Tony's pipes up with, in Russia, they were fighting over a fish eyeball in the soup. You just got to always compare things in your life to how Ivan had it. So I got released in December 2007. Sadly, two Tony's died from liver cancer from his own drug taking a few years after I was released. But we grew so close, he said I was like the son that he never had. And these days... You know, in my house, I've got no serial home invader, torturer, threatening me with a padlock in a sock. I've got no cockroaches crawling all over me at night time. I've got no dead rats in my food. I wake up with no thinking about two Tonys, his positive mental attitude. And that's why I wake up with a smile on my face. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Sean, ladies and gentlemen. I think we'll agree some of the most extreme images we've had in a spark story um, and an impressive what an impressive story you can see this man on banged up abroad right yeah. genuinely on that program it's on YouTube check him out and also some of you luckily got a book didn't you as you came in some of you got that's his book yes kindly donate those books to spark round of applause for him again <laughs> So we're uh, coming to our last hand pick. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Storyteller of the evening. Um... A good friend of the night, soon to be good friend of yours. Please welcome to the stage the lovely Alina, ladies and gentlemen. So um, I had a friend called John uh, and I met him at university. And he was in his final year, and I was in my first year. We bonded over the fact that we were slightly depressed and really into Pink Floyd. Um, uh, but he yeah, was such dicks. Uh, but he left and graduated and uh, became a journalist. I did a French law degree and became badly in debt. Um, and I kept in touch with him, which I'm very glad I did, because about a year after I graduated, he offered me a job, and I really needed the money. And he said, listen, it's just a couple of, week, a couple of days camping at the weekend. It's £400 plus expenses. Uh, you just, yeah, we'll just hang out, really. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll be there. I'll be at your house. So um, I turned up at his house, and he had this amazing motorhome. And as we were driving on the way to a campsite in Bournemouth, he told me what we were going to do. We were going to infiltrate a group of ageing caravan swingers at a naturist site in Bournemouth. <laughs> I'd said yes already, so it was a little late to backtrack at this stage, which, of course, he knew... But you know what? I thought, I'll make, I'll make a day of it. You know, I'll just, I'll just enjoy it. So I got there, and uh, it was actually quite beautiful. The sun was shining, uh, all these happy people everywhere, so naked. Everything trimmed, not everything. Um, and I thought, you know what? This, this could be fun. So uh, when we got there also, we had to go to uh, our guys. They were caravanswingers.co.uk. They were under the cover as well. They were actually in the back field where they had lots of privacy. And we had to say we were there with uh, Martin's birthday party. So that's what we said. Uh, and you told me, look, uh, basically your name is Nadia, because I signed you up as that, because my girlfriend was supposed to come here, but, but she's busy. And I was like, okay, okay, my name's Nadia, my name's Nadia. Uh, when, I, when I met Martin, whose birthday it was, I said, uh, he goes, hi, I'm Martin. I said, well, hi, I'm Eleanor. <sighs> he said, I, I thought you were Nadia. And I said, yeah, that, that's short for Eleanor. Uh, so that was an excellent start. So um, we got in there, and everyone was actually lovely. Um, they were considerably older, which I thought was, was great, actually. Not that, you know, anyway, another story. Um, <laughs> but I just, I thought they were very nice. They were very welcoming. Uh, they were librarians, charity workers, retired teachers. I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, and to be honest, I just felt incredibly guilty because I was there infiltrating these people's private time. Uh, I didn't think anyone needs to be judged for doing, as long as they weren't doing any harm, which they weren't. I felt a little bit dirty and not even in a good way. 
And it kind of reminded me of my mother, who's in, a, in sort of mid-50s, decided to have lots of sex with men online. Um, not actually men online. She met them online and had sex with them in real life, uh, just to clarify. And uh, she said to me, uh, she turned up one day at my house and went, you'll never guess, I have chlamydia. <laughs> and I was like, that's good. Yes, I thought it would never happen again. <laughs> It's happened before. Yes, apparently the over 55s, it's a very, very high rise in STTs because there's no pregnancy risk and there's like in the internet and stuff. So uh, yeah, they are, yeah, that's uh, something I didn't need to know. But anyway, back, back camping, uh, we met our new neighbors. They were David and Sue. Uh, they kind of look like people shop, shop in Waitrose and sort of like have plants and stuff. David and Sue were really friendly to us. I think they wanted to have sex with us. Um, and they were, I remember they were sort of Land Rover enthusiasts, but they were obsessed with these cars. They had one dragging the caravan. They were wearing a Land Rover cap, Land Rover socks, sandals, and literally nothing else. Uh, and we got chatting, and I started to chat in that slightly shrill, sort of manic, desperate way that people try when, they, when they're trying too hard. <laughs> I know, I guess. Um, so I suddenly realized uh, there was something sort of, glinting at me when I looked down at David's nether regions, a bit like a beacon in distress, and I looked down, and then, just a second, I just looked down for a second, and he went, I see you're admiring my piercing. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, it's all right, well done. <laughs> and he said, so uh, I just think you and, uh, you and John are really, we're really nice, and uh, just wondered if you wanted to go back to our caravan and play later. It wasn't Scrabble he was talking about, it was the sex. Um... I said, well, you know, we're just here on a, on a reconnaissance mission and we're very, very flattered. Thank you, thank you. Uh, and um, we'll, we'll see later. We'll see later. So we went back to our caravan and we made scrambled eggs. So John and I have been friends for many years. I know his girlfriend very well. And uh, I, I basically, I just took my top off. Uh, that's as far as I was going to go for 400 quid, do you know what I mean? Um, we'll make a little scrambled eggs, half-naked scrambled eggs. We're like, oh, oh, bit weird, bit drunk now could if you weren't with your girlfriend, but I don't like it that much. Um, so we made our scrambled eggs, ate them, and we went to the evening drinks and nibbles, um, which, was which was really, really interesting, because we had wine in a box, and we had quavers and peanuts, and that was pretty much it. And there was a lady, I think she was in her mid-60s, and she was wearing nothing but a chainmail and a thong, which I thought was just amazing. I'd never really seen anything like that in real life. Uh, and so John had a dictaphone with him, and what he did was he pressed play instead of record. So out of his pocket, little bits of conversations they'd had previously started playing. He sat there for absolutely frozen. And then he thought, you know what, they're all, they're all just been gathered here to rumble us, expose us, ironically. Uh, and in fact, they didn't. They just gave us some more wine. It, they were just having a party. And then I felt even more guilty and more dirty because they were ever so nice. Uh, at one point in the evening, um, I held John's hand. And um, basically, I spent most of my adult life not in a relationship. So it was really nice to sort of have a boyfriend for the weekend, um, even if it wasn't real. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> I, I was about to say I have one now, but that's a complete lie. <laughs> I just wanted to make it a happy ending, but it isn't. It's a very sad ending. <laughs> Still alone. Imagine someone near me on my bed. Sometimes I make up pillows of a man. Does anyone ever do that next to them and pretend there's someone there? No? All right. I'll count with the story then. Uh, so after that night, um, it was not something I do very regularly, so I pretend to be someone else. And I felt, I felt really quite 
gross about it. But we went back and we were trying to find headlines for the actual story. We had a photographer in the other in the other kind of field, sort of photographing the whole thing from a long lens. No one was actually exposed. It was just kind of to get an idea of it. And we thought of headlines as well. And he asked me, well, you know, what sort of headline do you think would work for this piece? Uh, I said, um, well, awning glory. Yeah, I think that was amazing. Uh, and, he, and he actually came up with camp perv vans. Yeah, I know, but look at that reaction. Uh, and it was... It was a, just a terrible piece of journalism. Uh, and so we sort of got back into the van, we drove back, and I was just sort of a bit depressed, in silence, really. Um, and then when he sort of dropped me off at uh, Euston, I sat there at the bus stop thinking, what have I just done? This is the most pointless, unjournalistic, idiotic piece of thing I've had a very big hand in helping with. I shall never do this again. I did, but I'll just do a bit on that later. Um, but I, I stopped talking to John because... I, I speak Romanian, I'm Romanian originally, and uh, he did another thing of uh, asking me to turn up near Harrods once, and I did. And um, what he wanted me to do, again, he didn't tell me, I should have learned the first time, right? He actually said, well, what I want you to do is go up to Romanian gypsy families begging around Harrods and ask if you can buy their baby. And I said, no, and left. <laughs> and that was the last time I spoke to him. Um, but... But I did do another um, swingers job, but this time I didn't do anything. I'm not like some sort of slut or anything. Um, but I went to a swingers night in Mayfair where I actually had a job writing about it, sort of on a more official capacity. And I went with my friend Jake, and I kind of loved Jake, and I wanted Jake to think I was really fun and cool, because I'm not actually, uh, but I really loved him. Um, and I went with him, and he sort of left me alone, really, with all these, like, wet, not actually that way, but like just horrible people everywhere, like all doing things. Uh, and I was only meant there, to, I was only sort of there to watch and everything. And he ended up running around, leaving me alone and doing things with other women. And basically at one point he was running around trying to find a loo. And just, he actually said, leave me alone, get away from me. I don't even like you. And it turned out he was about to soil himself because he'd eaten something really dodgy the day before in a flat in Mayfair. And then I got so angry, I got so drunk, I put my coat on and my hat and my scarf because it was very cold with all these naked people everywhere. And I just, I said, I'm going. And he went, fine. He was actually busy with a lady at that point. I said, do you know, I'm just actually going now. And he went, fine. I took his, I took his head by the hair, just pulled it to my face. And I went, I'm leaving now. And he goes, would you just leave me alone? I've got lift and bring cross here. That was something I'll never forget, and I've never actually told anyone that story, so please put it out of your minds right this instant. Thank you ever so much. Elena, ladies and gentlemen! Yes! And that brings us to the uh, end of the hand-picked storytellers of our Spark Encore evening. Uh, a round of applause, please, for your producer, Matt. For uh, your founder, Joe. Uh, for all the storytellers that you've heard this evening. And generally, for you as audience, because this is what makes Spark. You are a fantastic, supportive, loving audience, and we couldn't do it without you. Thanks for coming. Tell your friends. Come back. I've been Charlie Harrison. Thank you, and good night. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.